What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. It's been a minute. Uh, my name is Robert Donaldson, and as always, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Thad Nelson. And, you know, we actually have quite a bit to talk about today. You know, first off, the NFL Draft just happened last week, and there's a lot of different or former Iowa players in different homes, um, whether they were drafted or unsigned. And, you know, there was also a little bit of drama, I guess, if that's what you want to call it with. Um, always like comes on Twitter, I feel like the drama, or the former player tweets or whatever it is. But what really popped up was Brandon Smith. So obviously, Brandon Smith, former I wide receiver, um, was signed by the Dallas Cowboys. And what essentially happened was Big Ten Network's Iowa football Twitter account tweeted out a congratulations to Brandon Smith and included um, a highlight video catch from Penn State game when they had the alt unis and it was like that jump ball play in the end zone where he makes like the incredible like mosses the other dude right and Smith responded to that that tweet and was basically saying you know I should have been doing that a lot more but and that included that you know the shrugging emoji with you know what can I do about that and then somebody actually kind of like spiraled a little bit more because somebody responded to Brandon Smith's tweet saying you know shots fired First down stretch run, second down stretch run left, third and long screen pass punt. And he responded to that basically with an emoji saying, you know, exactly right. You know, an on target emoji, basically, you know, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting. I kind of came out of the blue. I, I I don't think Brand Smith during his time at Iowa really expressed that all that much. Um but obviously there's a lot of different factors that may have contributed to that. You know, he's obviously didn't get drafted. He went undrafted despite having an amazing sort of pro day um, or draft process, basically with his athletic testing and what he showed in um, his camps and things like that. But that said, what were your sort of your thoughts when you saw that fab? Because it's, it's, you know, it's kind of an unexpected thing when, um, you, you know, a player is in the NFL now and it just kind of feels like he's taking a shot when he's leaving. <laughs> Yeah, my first thinking is, hmm, that's interesting. And then, you know, my next first, my next thought really is, well, I just kind of expect that from a wide receiver, you know, because uh, I know it's been posted before. It's like, if you want to be a wide receiver, you're basically a glorified sprinter for the most time. Like, go sprint and come back and sprint and come back. And maybe if you do that, you know, 30, 40 times a game, you know, four or five might come your way just for a typical player. That's not uncommon. So they're really glorified sprinters in a lot of times in Iowa's offense, especially. And, you know, you want them. A lot of times those guys are going to have that attitude of like, I want the ball. I'm always open. Somebody with his frame definitely has a a case for, hey, I should have been given more chances in one-on-one situations. And I get that out of him. The other part for me is it's like, well, you know, you're going to catch the other side of it when, according to PFF data, you know, he's led the team in drops. So you have ones that, yeah, he has this frame, he has these hands, um, all of that, but he has a tendency to, you know, maybe drop the ones that should be caught, or he's had some fumble history as well. So I get it. You know, a player wants to make big plays. Um, Those guys always think they should, but at the end of the day, I just kind of took it as, okay, it's a guy that wanted to make plays. He probably wasn't happy in some situations. Um, wasn't maybe featured the way he wanted, but I'm not, I'm not really sure he should have been 
featured any more than a lot of the other guys. When I take a look at uh, targets, you know, okay, are you saying he should have got some of Laporta's targets because Laporta led the team? And, or should he have gotten some of Amir's targets? You know, do we take some away from Tracy or Regani? And, you know, you could go down the list. Where do those targets come from? Um, but I think it's just a guy that, that wanted to make plays and maybe felt that he didn't, wasn't given all the opportunities, but he was a three-year starter. So, um, I also say, you know, if you're open enough, you would have got the ball. So you're, you're basically, so I guess the point that a lot of people, um, and I'm, I saw you in the chat basically bring up this specific point of, of that whole thing was the first down stretch run, right? Second down stretch run left. And then, you know, third and long screen pass punt as basically being like an essence of an encapsulation of what the Iowa offense was during his time there. Right. Is basically what he's alluding to. And I saw you in the chat kind of, you were, you got a little bit upset at that because it is such a, you know, um, um, such a weird way to, or not a weird way. It's just like the, what is the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the stereotype of the Iowa offense under Brian Ferentz. And that's not necessarily been the case, especially recently and especially last season. Um, and yeah, like you just alluded to about targets. We talked about it all season long on the podcast. There were just so many targets to go around. And when you had a guy in Spencer Peters who initially wasn't finding that, that groove, you just kind of had to, formulate an offense that wasn't maybe conducive to success of a guy who works downfield and works in tight coverage situations and kind of goes up and makes a play, especially when you're talking about a really young quarterback who doesn't have that um, confidence in making that those anticipatory throws. Right. Um, But at the same time, I I do think that, you know, that like, like we just said, it is not exactly true that that was like the formula that Iowa's offense ran. Um, the issue with uh, that I have, and this is where I kind of agree with Brandon Smith. Now, if you put Brandon Smith, the guy that we knew him to become, because he wasn't that highly recruited, right? He was a guy that I think Iowa was probably his best offer, if I'm not mistaken. There weren't a lot of people in on him. Um, if you, but if we know what the kind of player he became, we if teams were more keen on him um, during his recruitment process and knew the athlete that he was. You know, put him on a team like Clemson, for example, where they've got had guys over the years who are just my ball guys like Mike Williams and and guys with that six, four, six, three frame, very athletic and go up and make a play. I think he would have been had a lot more production in those kinds of offenses. Like, obviously, the drops are an issue. You know, when you're getting the ball thrown to you and you're catching, you're, you know, you're dropping like these easy routine passes on you know slants or or five yard ends or whatever they are. Um, and I was kind of system. You're probably going to not get the ball thrown to you that more, much more because you're losing a little bit of trust. And like we said, there's a little bit of target share that has to go around. Um, but with Brandon Smith, he's a guy that has to work down the field. And, you know, we saw it on some splash plays that he had over the course of his career, um, few and far between, but he definitely has the ups. He definitely has that kind of my ball mentality that if you have a smaller, less physical corner on him, he can bully you at the point of the, like the you know the catch point, but yeah, I, I just don't think there was a lot of opportunities in Iowa's offense to really get him those opportunities. Yeah, I'm. I'll definitely agree with you on that. That I just think, you know, maybe his skill set isn't perfectly tied into what Iowa really wants to do, and you could argue, well, is that the fault of the coaches for not getting the most out of him, 
or are they just trying to get the most out of everybody else? And one thing I thought it was interesting was, um, you know, two years ago, first game of the season against Miami, Ohio, they get into the red zone and right away, it's I think two straight back shoulder kind of fade throw throws to him. First one incomplete, second one he comes down with a great nice catch in the corner, touchdown. But we really didn't see much to that after that. And it's one thing um, I hesitate to get really critical of a lot of play calling things because there's so much that goes into it. But one thing I think that a lot of people would have a legitimate complaint about is it doesn't seem like Iowa maybe schemes all the way they need to in the red zone with some of their threats. You know, I go back to somebody like Noah Fant and there's that classic situation where I think it was Wisconsin um, the one year where Iowa went kind of a big lineup, maybe three tight ends and split him out wide and had a corner one-on-one just next to him in front of him and nobody, no safety because I was in a three tight end formation and they don't do anything with it. And there's that situation where like, you know, you could run a fade, you could run a slant, like this is your perfect situation. And I think Brandon Smith was maybe probably in some of those situations where maybe it's not the same matchup advantage that a first round draft pick like Noah Fant had, but a situation where could they have schemed him a little bit better in some of those situations where he could have been, you know, had an advantage greater than maybe somebody else on the offense. And that's what you're looking at in this situation. It's, you know, not just does this guy have an advantage, but where is our biggest advantage? You know, so when Iowa had somebody like Noah Fant, to me, that seems like a big advantage. Somebody like Brandon Smith in the red zone, that seems like a big advantage. And you could go back through, you know, some of the other situations. And I think Iowa had some of those that they didn't maybe scheme or capitalize on the way they could. But the one thing I don't want it to go away from is, um, you know, I think he he has maybe some gripes and some he wasn't um, maybe as productive as many thought. But one thing I don't want to take away is what could he become in the NFL because he was a tremendous downfield blocker. And the Iowa coaches kind of have alluded to it at different times. They would scheme their running plays based on where he was at. Like that was a factor in Iowa's run calls. Where is Brandon Smith? Because he's such an effective blocker. Yeah, and I think you made a really great point of, you know, obviously Brandon Smith is an advantage in the red zone, right? It's the same way Noah Fant was an advantage in the red zone, but how big of an advantage was he actually, you know, the player himself comparatively to the other options that they had? Um, and I think that's a fair question, and I don't think we saw enough of it to really determine anything. And I think that also, you know, like we, you just said, I think that's kind of where those gripes are coming from. Just the the fact I think Brandon Smith kind of wanted the opportunity and then he didn't get drafted despite having this great, you know, testing performance throughout the draft process, I think just added to that kind of, you know, not maybe angst, maybe anger, maybe frustration, whatever you want to call it, because um, he did tweet that out the, you know, the day after day three, like immediately after the draft had concluded. So I think with a guy like in Brandon Smith's shoes, he's thinking, you know, I'm going to be a sixth round pick or I have a chance to be a seventh round pick. And then he doesn't, that doesn't happen. It doesn't materialize. And so he starts thinking back to, you know, well, if I would just got some opportunities to show what I could actually do, I would have been a lock, you know, especially with my, my testing numbers. Um, but yeah, especially with a guy like him, you know, when you're talking about the transition to the NFL, I think he ended up in a great spot. There's a lot of good receivers ahead of him. 
But as far as filling a role goes and, you know, getting opportunity, I, I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity in Dallas comparatively to maybe some other teams because um, every every team in the NFL is going to be hoarding these guys. At least with Dallas, there's going to be a spot in the practice squad for the athletic receivers, um, and he's going to probably latch on to a few different practice squads in his time if he doesn't get that initial shot in Dallas. But I, I do think that he has potential to really be a solid NFL player. Um, I thought he was the best receiver on the team the last two years, if I'm being honest. I, I know Amir actually got drafted in a fifth round, <laughs> being the second Akai off the board. But Brandon Smith's skill set and the way that he attacks the ball in the air and his physicality combined with his athleticism that we saw, especially last year in certain plays, I I do think that that mold it just has such a high upside. And in Iowa's offense, he was almost kind of used as a, a middle of the field run after the catch kind of guy rather than a jump ball kind of guy, which kind of detracted from some of what his ability could possibly be in the NFL. Yeah, and it's interesting. The other thing is you look at his numbers at Iowa, and um, part of it is just the position he plays, and you could maybe blame it on some of the quarterbacking as well at different times, but he had the lowest yards after catch of any of the receivers by quite a bit. And now part of that, it's going to be lower than a lot of your slot guys are getting things underneath or even with a mirror, you know, sometimes on those quick screens, you get the ball and all of your yardage, you know, even if you gain three yards, you might have five yards after the catch because you're behind the line of scrimmage. So you might have to factor some of that into it. But he he wasn't a guy that made a lot of plays after he got the ball in his hands. But is that more, is that on him or is that in just kind of the routes that he was running in the situations where he was catching the ball? And without going all the way into it, which hopefully we can at some time. Um, I just don't know exactly where that is, but he's a guy that's a really interesting prospect because as you say, his testing numbers are great. He has solid production in his time at Iowa, but you know, and he has some of those splash plays, but there were a lot of games where, you know, maybe it's two or three, you know, two or three catches, 24 yards, you know, no, no scores. So I think it's a team, as you said, he has to find a spot where he can fit, you know, maybe make a practice squad. I think, you know, he's got a great chance because he can go rep a big receiver or you could put him on a practice squad and have him rep some of those super athletic tight ends that split out that are so popular in the NFL right now. So he has some spots where he can fit in and hopefully catches on. I think all Iowa fans are rooting for him on that side. Yeah, and I will say, you know, the uber athletic wide receiver types that are kind of like the bigger framed guys usually latch on for at least a few years, whether it's in, you know, uh, the same spot that they were signed to or drafted late rounds or a different practice squad altogether. I mean, guys like even like Alan Lazard, you know, Jaguars were the first one to really give him a shot on the practice squad. And then they cut him, then they bring him back. Then the Packers ended up getting him. Um one of the popular ones over the years was Charles Johnson. I don't know if you remember him from the NFL. He was cut by the Browns after being a practice squad guy who landed on the Vikings, puts up like a thousand yards one year and then just kind of disappears. Those guys are really well liked because like you said, they can emulate a lot of different things and there's just not a lot of guys who are football savvy and can actually make plays as a receiver who are big and are that athletic. You know, those guys are, not playing the game of football. They're doing something else where they're succeeding, whether it's basketball or, 
uh, you know, whatever else it is. So there's there's not there's not like a, everybody's looking for that kind of guy to fit on their team somewhere. And I, I guarantee you he'll be around for a little bit in three years or so. And we'll be pulling from whatever whatever team he ends up on. Um, I think we'll look back on this as saying just, you know, that we just kind of overlook it because he was a Hawkeye and he's going to be representing that Hawkeyes pretty well in the NFL, I think. Um, I'm interested to see one last thing with that is, you know, for somebody that's trying to get onto a roster, how he fits in maybe special teams. Because if you're a backup in those situations, you're going to be asked to play special teams. And at Iowa, he never did. And, you know, I don't, I think it's mainly, well, he wasn't really a return man. Um, he doesn't have that body or frame or really style and they weren't probably going to use him because he was a three-year starter. They're not really going to use him, you know, in a lot of other spots as a gunner or something, but you know, you look at that size and you definitely think that he can fit on a special team somewhere and be willing to go be physical. Yeah, I know a hundred percent. And, you know, you talked about his blocking. I I feel like that kind of trait is only in guys who can actually transition to the NFL and make a special teams role at the very least. Right. It's not a skill that everybody has. And I think that because of his frame, because of his athleticism, there is going to be a role for him somewhere. Um, And if he does end up being on the roster, I think, yeah, special teams is a good way to carve out your role until you actually get um, an opportunity in game. Um, But yeah, I, I, I wish him the best. I think that was, you know, just off I think of like frustration or whatever else that kind of boiled into that. And I, I I'm willing to overlook it. I think, you know, his points weren't um too far out from the truth, but at the same time, maybe you just don't make them and they just goes off quiet and you just go about your career in the NFL. Um regardless, there's still a lot of NFL guys that, you know, are Iowa guys from this past year's team that are now in the NFL. And the first one that really got drafted off the came off the board in the third round was Chauncey Golston, which I don't know. Were you expecting Chauncey to be the first talk I drafted? Um, you know, mid season, mid of Iowa season, no. Um, but I think you know as the season went on and we talked about it and we talked about it really postseason, is he's got everything an NFL team would like. You know, he's got position, he's got some versatility, he's got length, he's got production, he has some film. I mean, everything about him was just, this guy is an awesome guy you want in your locker room and a guy that's going to keep improving. And, you know, when Iowa recruited him, really they were there looking at uh, Lattimore, I believe. And then you see this guy, it's like, okay, you know, six, five long, he's got a chance and turned into a really nice player at Iowa. We talked about it during the season, like early in the season, it's kind of like his career at Iowa like show some flashes. He's in the right spots, not finishing, but his last five, six games were really, really good. And he showed everything. He finished, he played inside, he played outside, uh, down at, was it the senior bowl? You know, he's sliding inside most, I think most of the time played at D tackle. And it's a guy that fits in to what a lot of NFL teams look for, in my opinion, with just that versatility, his ability to, you know, use his length to get to the quarterback, but he's also capable against the rush. So I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, Just the way his career kind of matured at Iowa and the way his game matured. um, I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah. You know, this is a guy that, you know, like, like you just said, we've been talking about him 
forever all since the Purdue game, you know, like every single game we focused on him because either he was making plays or he was almost making plays. And then, like you said, on the end stretch of the season, he started making those and finishing those plays, which was like one of his hurdles throughout his entire career at Iowa. And what's kind of funny about the landing spot in Dallas is, well, I just didn't, I just put together him and Brand Smith. They're going to be um, on the same Dallas squad. But what's kind of funny about him landing in Dallas is Demarcus Lawrence, who as a defensive end, longtime defensive end for Dallas Cowboys. The one gripe that Cowboys fans always have about Demarcus Lawrence is he puts the pressures on, doesn't get the sack production. It's the exact same thing. They're just like, he gets there, but I'm so tired of him getting there and not finishing the play. Isn't that kind of funny how it's like, well, I guess there's somebody you can learn from to kind of maybe hone that skill in and, and learn how to really round out your game. Yeah, you know, and you hope you hope his transition in the NFL to maintaining that skill or picking up that skill against just a higher caliber league, obviously, um, that he can grasp onto that quickly because he's somebody who is going to help that team, is going to find a role, and if he can continue to finish it all in the way he did toward the end of the season at Iowa, um, he's just going to have a really nice career. One of those guys that you're going to look up and seven, eight years and be like, and there's another contract for him. 100%. He is definitely one of those guys who's a second contract player. I also think some of the guys who, um, well, we'll talk about later, the some of the undrafted guys, I think are second contract kind of players just because of, you know, being an undrafted free agent, there's not the long-term commitment and the, you know, the money is not really as large as some of these draft picks, but we'll get down the road to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's definitely a second contract guy just because of how he can play the run really well. You know, you look at guys like Carl Klug who were drafted in the fifth or sixth round. Um, those guys carved out two or three contracts just because of that ability to be that and have a marginal pass rushing ability. But with Johnson Golson, I think that he has much higher ceiling than marginal pass rushing ability in the NFL because of his quickness, because of his length. And like you said, because he can go inside and um, on third down situations and long passing situations, and he can play that four, three base end role and take on tight ends and take on combo blocks because he has that kind of skill set. Um, but we'll move on right here. Cause we do have quite a few players to actually talk about, which is always nice when you're talking about a lot of guys making in the leap to the NFL. All right. Um, Fifth round. So we jumped from the third round to the fifth round. Not really the, I. it's not the player that a lot of people were expecting to be the second guy off the board for, uh, for at least for Iowa's concerned, but Amir Smith-Marset. So he became the first Hawkeye receiver drafted in nine years. Um, I think the last one was Marvin McNutt, right? I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. And, you know, Minnesota Vikings obviously don't have the deepest of wide receiver cores right now. And, he had Amir Smith the mirror. You know, there's the kick returning ability, punt returning ability that also goes with his receiving ability. So I guess what were your thoughts when you saw Amir coming off the board in the fifth round? The big thing to be in a fifth round pick for him is that special team ability, his ability to to change the game in that situation. Um, because if you are drafting your receiver there, you're, you're not expecting him to come in and be an every down guy. He's very much situational, but his speed is legit and you saw it game after game when he's in the open field, he's just faster than other guys and the NFL, everybody's fast, but that speed 
is still going to be fast in the NFL and maybe not run away from players the way he could at Iowa. But, you know, you think back to that kick return against USC, you think back to when that same USC game, when he caught the bubbles or the little tunnel screen uh, in the red zone and scored on a play where USC was calling out the play as Iowa lined up. They knew what it was and they still couldn't touch him. So that speed translates and, He's been my favorite receiver for the last couple of years just from the fact of he has the ability to make that big play at any moment. And is he still a little slight? Yeah, he is. Um, was ball security an issue at different times? Yeah, it was. But you can't recreate that speed and what he brings on special teams. And as a guy that you can put out there for different packages and say, look, when you're in the game, take the top off or maybe you can draw safety help and let one of our other guys work underneath. And that's the thing with him is I think he's going to be able to find that role, be a special teams contributor contributor at first, and then find those packages where they can utilize his skill set, you know, to be like, all right, you're coming in on this and here are the two things we need you to do. And from that standpoint, I think it's a good pickup in the fifth round to get a guy with a ceiling like his. Yeah. And you know, what's I, I really love this fit as far as the fits go and this um, as far as the guys that the Iowa guys that landed anywhere, whether it's undrafted free agent or drafted guy. This is the best fit bar none. I mean, you look at the guy type of guys that Minnesota's brought in over the years. You know, KJ Osborne from Miami, former Buffalo transfer, slight guy, six foot tall, 180 pounds, kind of the punt returner type, the the quick route runner on the outside, deep threat. And then a guy that. Minnesota's front office and Minnesota fans have it's just been loving over the past like three or four years in Chad Beebe. Um, he's a guy from Northern Illinois who, again, kind of the quicker mold, um, very small receiver who had punt return, a lot of punt returning ability and people were just waiting for him to take that next step. Well, the thing is with Chad Beebe is the past two or three years, he's been injured uh, with like three different injuries and it's I think that the front office is kind of getting tired of waiting for it and he might be a you know this might be a the replacement kind of pick for Chad Beebe and then you look at the guys that are in front of um, Amir on this roster you have Justin Jefferson Adam Thielen Olabisi Johnson who is a good player but not great but you know what a great couple of receivers to learn from and just kind of emulate and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and you know yeah this definitely has some punt return and special teams value this pick of Amir but I think that in year one we're gonna see legit reps at a receiver at start like you know getting good reps and that like that second rotation of receivers um and if he takes advantage of that opportunity and really just shows off his route running, which we know that he already has, this is a guy that could become another fan favorite, just like Chad Beebe did and maybe even more productive if he can stay healthy. The evaluators just, you know, whenever you watch him, you just have to think that they're thinking, you know, speed situation to get the ball in his hands. You know, Iowa started to use him more with some of the jet sweep action so he has some uh, value in that as well. He can help your run game, you know, just with his motion and with those sort of things. So as you said, such a good fit because he can come in and be, you know, a third, fourth receiver, a guy that comes in in situations. But because of their top two guys being like, here's our mainstays, 
And they're going to want to move those guys around. So you can bring in Amir and have him play different spots where he doesn't have to always be out wide. He doesn't have to do any certain things. And, you know, he's never going to draw the main attention of that defense when you, you think about, especially like a Justin Jefferson, who, you know, has so much talent and can do so many things for them. So I, I'm right with you. I think it's a great fit. Um, I think a lot of it starts as special teams. But as you said, he's a guy that can catch on as a receiver and make plays. And I would not at all be surprised to see his name pop up at some point during the season for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I think with the NFL draft, you're talking about like day three guys, which a lot of the players in this draft ended up being. You're just kind of looking for the opportunity to stick around and not just get, you know, whether you're cut fodder or practice squad fodder. And I think with Amir Smith-Marset, you're looking at a day three guy who I don't think is a practice. They're not looking at him as sort of like, all right, well, we're going to keep you on the practice squad. We're going to keep you in a special teams oriented role. I think they're looking at him as a guy who can legitimately help their passing game, which is a really great opportunity when you're talking about a guy who you you know that can help on special teams and then have that add dynamic. That's some lasting power that I, I don't think an Iowa receiver in a long time has had in the NFL. And that's just kind of one of those cool things about it, I guess. Um, if you want to add something, I, th- I thought I saw you leaning yeah. in. <laughs> well, one thing I noticed with him, you know, this year, especially is he became a guy that started to make tough catches, you know, on his film, he's got some one handed catches. He has traffic catches. He has down the field, a guy holding his arm down, reaching up and hauling it in catches. So you know, I think back to that play against Iowa State on third and what, 17 or 21, you know, where he comes up with the big play in traffic, takes a big hit. Uh, Nebraska, the fourth quarter drive to set up uh, Keith Duncan's field goal, you know, across the middle, catches, takes a huge hit, looks like it's going to be a targeting penalty. And so he, he, as his career went on, he wasn't just the fast guy playing receiver. He started making contested catches more frequently. His drops went down. Um, He became a better blocker on the outside. And those are the sort of things that I think when I watch his progression saying, okay, he took those steps and what does he become down the road? I I just think he's going to be, he's another one that's like his ceiling is too high to not make it somewhere because he can just bring something that not everybody can. Yeah, and you know, he's not just a guy who makes plays after the catch or in short yard situations or on these gadget end around kind of things. If you want to see him show off amazing route running, you know, go back two years to that Minnesota game and there are three plays in a row where he is just cooking. And if Nate Stanley is on target and there's no if they actually get a, a pass interference call on the defense. They're they're going down the entire field about 80 yards because of Amir and his ability just to sell his routes and get open. So I don't want people to really just look at this as kind of like, oh, well, we got a punt returner or, oh, we got a kick returner. I think there's a lot more value um, despite that day three billing and kind of the middle of the fifth round. Um, but again, I so the, the, we're going we're going to keep going, I guess. But. This is the one pick that I think a lot of people were one not expecting him to be around this late, and I it just it still kind of blows my mind. But uh, Davion Nixon, fifth round, one hundred and fifty eighth 
157 better players in this in this class. Apparently, if you're talking about draft value, comparatively to Davion Nixon to the Carolina Panthers. Wow. Um, what were your thoughts when he, you know, you saw him falling? Well, you know, just kind of leading up to the draft, all of a sudden his name just kind of disappeared and you just kept hearing he's dropping. He's, there were some teams that he was completely scratched off their list. So obviously then the pool shrinks up for you even more. Um, but just one of those, like you kind of walk in, sitting there going, why? Like you watch this guy all year. Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, um, was so dominant so many times, uh, athletic, has all the things, you know, measurables that you would want. Does he Did he test off the charts? No, but, you know, I think it sounded like his pro day maybe didn't go as well as some would have expected. But you still see him with that size, that frame, the way he can move, um, the production he had this year, and... You know, some of his tackles and tackles for loss kind of dipped off as the season went on as he garnered more attention from opposing offenses. But you just can't convince me there's that many players better than him that will be more impactful. And I don't know a lot about the fit here for him. That's probably where you obviously you have more expertise on that. But I, I just don't see how you could look at a list of players and say, yeah, there are that many guys better than him. And you know, there wouldn't be Big Ten coaches saying, yeah, this guy wasn't a problem because he clearly was a problem for almost every team they faced. Dude, this this thing blew my OK, this his fall kind of blew my mind, but it also didn't. I don't know what it is about these really great Iowa players that are clearly great football players, whether it's Desmond King or or our guest Davion Nixon, but. For some reason, they just, or AJ Panessa for that, I guess, to add into that, but they just don't test well. And not only, not, e- not even like in the fact that they don't test well, they test in the bottom 20 percentile of the drills that the, you know, these analytic driven front offices are really keying in on, right? Because the thing is with a guy with Davion Nixon's frame, they're not looking for the next Aaron Donald because that natural leverage isn't there. They're looking for the next Geno Atkins and the next, um, you know, a, a Grady Jarrett, a guy who's kind of a bigger defensive tackle, three tech kind of mold who has off the charts explosion. And so you key in on the jumps, you key in on the 10 yard splits. And for some reason, Davion Nixon tested so poorly in those areas, but you turn on the film and you tell me that that dude's not explosive and you're just, you're an idiot. Sorry. You're stupid. Like, what are you even looking at? This guy barrels through double teams with will. You see him explode up and just throw dudes. You see him redirect to runs and sink his hips and change direction on a dime. And you know, he's, he was sitting at three ten plus during his Iowa tenure, right? I, I don't know what it is like just just watch the film and if it doesn't match up with his athletic measurables you know find that middling ground because for some reason a lot of great we always talk about the Iowa um, Iowa fall a player falls in the draft and then all of a sudden yeah guess what he's a great player in the NFL I don't know what it is about the preparation that these guys go through but it's not good and I don't know where that falls but it's 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 becoming an unavoidable kind of issue right um, we saw AJ Epinesa run a five plus 40, which just doesn't make sense. I don't know if you have something to comment on that. No, I think you're exactly right. And I don't, 
I'm with you. I'm in a loss in a lot of ways. For one, to me, it's a bigger concern when you see a guy test with some crazy number and then you don't see that on film. Like to me, you watch him and it's the same thing with Des King, which is a great comp in terms of like, okay, maybe he's not the fastest. Maybe he's not the strongest, but go watch him and tell me his quickness doesn't translate. You know, I think back to his interception that he returned for a touchdown against Maryland on a kind of botched tunnel screen and things like that. It's like, well, yeah, maybe this specific drill doesn't show what they do, but there's film and there's, you know, plenty of other parts that show that they are explosive or with Des King that he has that short space quickness and uh, Nixon that he can explode, that he can power through a double team or, or he can be playing inside and a team leaves him unblocked for like a jet sweep and he gets up there to a really fast dude stops, you know, not only just breaks down and just swallows him whole. And, you know, we don't have to talk about the interception return against Penn state because, you know, that's a whole different thing. That's not like a football specific skill set in terms of he's not going to be trying to outrun dudes on an interception, but all game, he's just eating up blocks, shedding guys, using his length, using his power, using his ability to change directions at 6'4", 300 plus pounds. And I just don't get how you can watch that film. And even when, you know, there were times when production wasn't great, like he's still making plays, he's still impacting. And to fall that far just makes no sense. And, you know, you you mentioned it just doesn't make sense because you see guys like him and Epinesa with these really bad performances, but then you see guys like Nick Neiman who just blow the doors off the whole place and other Iowa players, you know, I think back to, um, you know, there's been several other guys, you see their numbers and it's like, Oh yeah. Riley McCarron was the one. It's like, wait, four, three, he, <laughs> he ran four, three. And so it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it can't be the specific training necessarily Iowa, but something isn't connecting for those guys when they go to perform those drills in that moment, because it absolutely tanks their stock. And they, they were excellent football players. I mean, you, you talked about Epinesa, you know, you go and watch him just torch left tackles and just literally barrel them back into the quarterback or just swipe their arms and swallow a quarterback. And it just doesn't make any sense for somebody like Nixon to go that late and I just hope he sets the world on fire there because it just, I don't get it. You know, even if there are question marks and other aspects outside of football, like that's just a long way for him to drop. Yeah. And, and you know, you said it, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to put it on Iowa. Um, these, you know, the poor testing numbers because you see George Kittle, um, you know, put up numbers that are unheard of for tight ends. You see Tristan Wirfs set almost every single benchmark record for tackle um, testing numbers at the combine. And there are so many other examples of just freak Iowa athletes. Mike Daniels is another good example as a freak Iowa athlete. Nick Neiman. I mean, you're talking about a guy who tested in a 90 percentile on like three different categories. We'll talk about him and his landing spot next, of course. But yeah, with with the guys who perform poorly in athletic testing wise um, that come out of Iowa, they perform really poorly and it's just, it's not a reflection of who they are and what kind of players they are. And, you know, especially with the, the, the kind of the pass rusher positions like three tech and edge rusher and even like corner for, you know, just the passing game in general, there's so much emphasis by these front offices nowadays to key in on the guys who are explosive or have a dominant athletic trait. And when, 
guys like AJ Vanessa bomb the combine and Davion Nixon bomb their pro days, they lose that that luster of well, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and we're we're excited about him and we're going to get him in the early rounds of of day 2 or in the first round. Like AJ Epinesa could have been a first round pick if he just tested well. And it, it it is unfortunate for that, you know, to play out the way it does. So what do you see Nixon's role? I mean, with the with the Panthers, like how is he going to fit? Is he a guy that can, you know, go inside out? What are they going to be doing with him, you think? He is a guy that I think is going to play a number of different roles. So you look back on how they use Quan Short and Vernon Butler over the years. I think he slots into a guy who can play the one a lot. Um, I also think they're going to use him as a three tech. Um, regardless of what those athletic testing numbers are, he's a quick guy. Quick, quick, quick twitch has a lot of length to go about him and he's very powerful. Um, so you know you can really move him around inside a lot and I do think that there's like a, a clear vision of how they can use him in a clear fit I think we're going to see him plenty this year um, because right now they still have Derek Brown who they drafted and put a premium on um, who's kind of in that similar position so I think a lot of his action is going to be at sort of the one tech spot this upcoming year but Derek Brown has been underperforming so if he kind of if he you know continues that trend, I think Davion Nixon is going to have a chance for some legit playing time. Just if he adds that pass rushing presence, which at Iowa, when he was actually allowed to pin his ears back and try to go make a play, he did. So I I think he's going to fit in well with the NFL. I think like I said, I think he's a great player regardless of how he tested, and he's a guy who I think is going to be a second contract guy and a third contract guy, whether it's with Carolina or not. I think somewhere he's going to latch on and. And hold on to that spot for sure. Yeah, just too explosive at that size. Like you said, that quick twitch and his ability with his length to hold guys off and and make plays that translates. And even if he's going against guys, um, you know, with that strength on the interior in the NFL, like he can keep them off of his body. And, and same thing when we talked about Golston earlier. That's why teams have that chance to move him around because both of them are really long and can keep those hands off of him. And, you know, Nixon's just that much bigger even that he can really sink his hips and, and hold his ground. So I'm with you. I think he's going to be a guy that catches multiple contracts in the NFL. Yeah, and, you know, with those guys that have that trump card of whether it's it's length or just instinctual ability to play the run, there's a, there, there's a reason why those guys get the, the chance or the benefit of the doubt, right, if they test kind of poorly. It's because they can at least fill some kind of role at the minimum. And with Chauncey uh, uh, Golston and Davion Nixon, I think that they have enough pass rushing ability that if they hit that right development trend or get with the right coach or, you know, things go smoothly for them, their transition wise. These are guys that we're going to be talking about as starters two years down the line. And and nobody, no Iowa fans going to be really surprised by that, I think. Um, but now, you know, as we jump to the, the round six, so we this is going to be the, I believe, yeah, the last drafted Hawkeye in the draft, um, as far as that's concerned, because then the rest are undrafted free agents. Nick Neiman to the Chargers in the first pick of round six. Um, he'll be playing against his brother twice a year, which is kind of cool. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking me because I put out a video on Nick Neiman. You know, how is he compared to Ben Neiman? Well, Nick Neiman's a lot more physical. Um, and Nick Neiman is kind of looks like a stronger and he's more like I guess has the bigger mold right to him where he's kind of fits. It's like a guy who 
isn't a borderline safety type. He's a guy that you're putting at linebacker and you're, you're confident in his role there, despite the fact that he does really well covering tight ends and man coverage or zone coverage and covering running backs and slot receivers at times. Um, I really like this spot. And also Nick Neiman, he was one of those guys that I'll now admit I was on the wrong side of where I thought engaging his talent wise um, heading into this past season at Iowa. And I was kind of admitting that on, on the podcast throughout the entire season. You know, I, I just, I felt like he was getting too lost in the, in the mess in the box and it was really detracting from what he was capable of doing outside of it. And I don't know. I just didn't think he was that instinctual as a player that said, you know, as the season progressed, he was making a lot of plays and you and I both noted this, like I get it. He had those high tackle number days, but a lot of those tackles weren't really, you know, impressive tackles because they were like 20 yards down the field. Didn't matter though. There was enough tackles to show that this guy was a key part in holding back offenses from really exploding downfield. And he was doing it in the past game. He was doing it in the box. He he was obviously a very athletic guy as we came to find out during his pro day performances because he tested the 90th percentile. And like I said, three or four different key areas that teams look at. And when you turn on the tape, you see it. You see this guy reading plays and going east and west and just flying to the ball. Um, similar to a guy like Eric Kendricks in the NFL. Um, obviously, there's reasons why he fell to the sixth round. But trait wise, there are definitely some really good comparisons that um, I think really give him a shot at not only just sticking around for a few years, but again, making to that second contract. When he came to Iowa, you know, you talk about the comparison with his brother, Ben, like Ben was really kind of an afterthought recruiting wise, just kind of a guy that I believe was a, you know, Northern Illinois. And then um, Iowa is able to get him to join and he had a really good career at Iowa, but definitely more, you know, in that Leo role where he was out with, you know, covering tight ends, covering slot guys, definitely more, you know, playing outside the box quite a bit. And then Nick came in as a pretty well-regarded recruit. As you said, you know, he was bigger than, you know, he had size and was, you know, more athletic than his brother coming into college. We didn't know that it was this, but he did play pretty early in his Iowa career and started in that same position you know, outside. And obviously, you know, as the year went on or his career went on, he played inside the box as Iowa went to, you know, more of their cash, their five defensive backs look. Um, so that shifted him. He was too good to, you know, take out of the lineup altogether. So that really shifted him inside. And you could see he was going through kind of those growing pains of a new position. And, you know, you mentioned, and we talked about it, he'd get caught in the wash, you know, it was almost like he was trying to diagnose and then read it and then make his decision instead of just playing more instinctual and letting that athleticism take over. And, you know, really in that midpoint of the season, it just sort of clicked with him and he was all over the place and still has that ability to play outside the box. And the chargers is a great fit because you look at that division, you know, you look at what, what Kansas city wants to do. You you look at the Broncos, a team, you know, that's got somebody like, KJ Hamler that they're going to move around in the slot, somebody like Noah Fant at tight end and the weapons in that league. And you look, you know, I think the for the Raiders, you know, the speed that they always want to put in. And I believe their number one target um, guy was, was a tight end as well. So I think he fits really well in that division as well, trying to, for a defense, trying to limit what those other teams want to do, where they get slot matchups on linebackers or whether they get those athletic tight ends on linebackers. 
And is he going to be able to match all those guys one-on-one all the time? No, but he's athletic enough to give you a chance and without hurting you in the run game. You know, if he's in there, he can give you a chance against slot guys, against tight ends, but it's not, you know, putting a corner out there that's going to, you know, hurt you when it comes to the run game. But the with the Chargers, I just I don't really watch them enough to really gauge on how he kind of fits with that squad. I will say something that's kind of interesting about them is they are kind of thin based on just how their production is. I I, I think they're, you know, based on if, if you ask a Chargers fan, they're they're going to say like, yeah, this guy has plenty of opportunity. He's going to probably latch onto a special teams role just because athleticism is concerned. But, you know, you look at Drew Tranquil and guys like Kazir White and Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray is probably the one guy that a lot of people recognize out there um, just because he was a high draft pick. But if you ask Chargers fans, they weren't really all that impressed with him over the past couple of years. So I think what's interesting, too, about Nick Neiman is with a lot of with a lot, a lot of times with like these guys that are the athletic kind of mold late round pick linebackers that have that minimal coverage ability or at least trans, you know, translatable coverage ability. They end up sticking around for a little bit. And whether it's injuries are concerned or just the, the cheaper option or whatever it is, they end up finding the field. And then either teams or fans end up hating them <laughs> because they're just so out of position all the time and they're wrapping up, you know, racking up a lot of tackle numbers or whatever it is. You know, either you hate them or you're just like, yeah, this this guy can, you know, fit a role. Do I think he's going to be the, the star linebacker that comes out of his class with guys like Micah Parsons? Uh, probably not. But as far as a guy who can latch on, make a second contract and, you know, like Ben Neiman is doing in Kansas City, kind of fill a role and get legitimate playing time and contribute on and, and kind of be like the jack of all trades where you're doing a number of different things. Yeah. I, I think that these guys always find some kind of role and sixth round, you're getting a guy like that who can potentially, you almost can see the envision, the translation um, to your NFL team. I think you're getting amazing value regardless. Another guy that's really going to help your special teams as well. He can play multiple facets of your special teams game. You know, so he has, you know, organizational value. Somebody that, you know, a coach's son knows what he's going to do. A brother in the NFL knows the professional world. Like he's going to show up and he's going to be a pro. And that goes a long way too for a lot of these guys. Okay, we're getting a six round. Like we're going to invest some money in you right away. And we think you can help us, but you're going to help our organization in a lot of other ways. And I totally see him as a guy that, as you said, maybe doesn't start right away but comes in and, you know, whether it's through injury or through other situations, gets some of those reps and does play. And I, you think about his brother, but, you know, another Kansas City chief linebacker, somebody like Anthony Hitchens, like there's things that, you know, you can make those connections. There were times in Hitchens' early career where he looked lost, you know, and yes. he doesn't, he definitely doesn't have the frame that Neiman has. Um, obviously turned into a really good player at Iowa and is, turned into a, a solid NFL player, somebody who's logged a lot of starts and and you know been able to earn the nice living in the NFL. So somebody like Neiman, you can look on that end saying, okay, we see this prototype of somebody who played outside a lot. Now we could move him into the box more and he has the athletic ability to be able to make those plays against in the NFL. And uh, as you said, just a really good value for a six rounder um, somebody that's going to stick around that roster for a while, I bet. 
Yeah, and what's kind of cool is a lot of the NFL team, you know, playing in the Big Ten, you've seen a lot of these different complex run looks that the guys from other conferences that are so, also are that athletic linebacker kind of mold really haven't. And yeah, did Nick Neiman struggle to kind of diagnose those at times? Like we said, get stru- like caught up in the wash. Yeah, but at least he's experienced it. You know, he's at least like played against that for four years because he's been starting for quite some time. And we really saw him turn a corner as far as a run defender is concerned when he was kind of forced into that that fit um, as the season progressed last season. And he's a guy that with athleticism, you kind of get some of those false steps. You kind of get like a little bit of a makeup speed for some of those false steps. And as the learning process goes, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be immediately forced into the, the starting lineup. Although I think just based on, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the PFF grades of some of these Chargers linebackers and, <laughs> you know, good preseason. He might be starting week one. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, but I do think I he's a guy with a lot. Like I said earlier on with a lot of these guys who kind of fit that at jack of all trades, athletic linebacker mold. They either sink or swim, and there's really no in between. And when you're coming out of Iowa's defense, I do think you get sort of the benefit of the doubt because a lot of those guys are just really well coached, and that's a you know testament to the program and the way they've set everything up. And like with Davion Nixon and and Chauncey Golston and Nick Neiman, these guys are good football players, at least well coached football players, um, for the most part when they come out of Iowa, which is also are just always a really cool thing that you know, Iowa gets the benefit of the doubt on um, as far as Dixon's concerned. And that, you know, that translates to the undrafted free agents, which we can just jump right into. And uh, I think what I, the best way to approach this, because there's so many, um, I'm just going to list them off and then you can jump in on just which ones, I guess, intrigue you the most. So with Brandon Smith, we talked about it. He signed with Dallas. Um, Makai Sargent and Cole Banwart ended up with the Tennessee Titans. I like um, those fits pretty well, actually. Koi Kronk and uh, Jack Heflin both ended up in Green Bay. So Green Bay connections staying a little bit strong there. And then Sean Byer is ending up with um, Noah Fant in Denver. And so the tight end room there has a couple of Hawkeyes, which is, again, pretty damn cool. Um, Alaric Jackson, who a lot of people were really surprised he didn't get drafted. Um, I believe he yeah, signed with the Rams. So he'll be playing uh, with, I guess, in that Sean McVay offense. And I, do they still have Austin Blythe? Uh, Blythe signed with, uh, signed with Kansas City for the year. So okay. Kansas City totally revamped their offensive line, and he was part of it. Yeah, and, you know, so I guess they wanted another Iowa guy to fit in their locker room. And Austin Blythe filled a pretty, you know, he was surprising starter for them and actually played marginally well in his time there. So um, that's pretty cool. And then Barrington Wade ended up with the Baltimore Ravens. And I think that rounds out the list. Um, which guys are guys or guy do you think kind of what, what fits do you like out of that, you know, that group? Well, I'm going to start with a guy that we talked about and that's been kind of somebody that I've really enjoyed watching during his time at Iowa and somebody that I didn't think got nearly enough credit for the player he was. And that's Cole Banwart. And we mentioned him a lot and is somebody that I still think back to the to the 2019 season and how much his injury impacted the interior line. And if he's in there, I think that season could be a really special one for Iowa. 
and he was so solid in his time at Iowa. Big guy, you know, 6'5", so he's got some size to him. And I, I think he's somebody that's just one of those grinders, and he's going to find his path in the NFL, and he can play, you know, multiple positions. I, I feel like I'd have to look it up. I feel like early in his career, he even was taking some reps at center. I think maybe it was when, um, like, James Daniels was there, might have had some either injury possibility or they thought about kicking him out to some different spots. But I believe he did take some reps. I, I want to say even in a, one of the spring games, played some center and obviously played both sides of the guard spot. So he gives you that – he's that interior lineman. And if you're going to be in the NFL, especially as somebody who's not drafted as an early-round pick that's like immediate entry into the starting lineup – that you have to have because you have to be able to to give their, them multiple roster spots just with the limits that the NFL has. So he's the one that really jumps out to me that I think he's going to find his way in the NFL because he's just got that mentality and kind of the way he played. And it was, you know, never going to jump off the, the screen, especially from the interior. But he was such a good player at Iowa. Um, really too bad he missed some times in, with injury. And I hope he's able to, to be help, healthy and work in the in the NFL. And the next one really was uh you know you talked about with you know uh two guys going to Green Bay is does Jack Heflin stick around? And he was another one that as the year went on um caught our eye and I don't know athletically if he's gonna be able to handle that part of it. Um but if he's a guy that can if you have a role as him just eating up space and taking on blockers, he definitely can fit that. So he's kind of another one that I'm interested in seeing how it plays out. Yeah, I'll piggyback off of the first guy that you talked about, Cole Bamwart. You know, there are certain guys that are certain positions that come out of Iowa that think get the benefit of the doubt. Um, offensive line is definitely one of them, along with tight end, right? We've seen it so many times. Guys who barely got any reps or playing time at Iowa end up latching on for three, four years on the off and on the offensive line, especially, you know, look at Ross Reynolds, look at Ike Bakker. You know, these are guys that were either often injured or just had a mixed bag of results at Iowa. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're seeing two different teams and seeing starting reps. And, and Austin Blythe is another good example. Um, these guys just latch on. And I think there's this kind of identity one. They know to have played the position pretty well. But in the NFL, we talked about it, you know, when we talked about just throughout the year on the on the podcast in the NFL, offensive line is pretty thin um, because once you get out of the um, college football and you go to the NFL and you kind of get that you get cut right away or you're undrafted free agents uh, and you don't see yourself having a future in the NFL. You don't want to carry that kind of weight because it's just not healthy. But at Iowa, I think that they're just so well conditioned and their strength and conditioning program so strong that these guys know how to maintain that weight at the most healthy possible way. And then you combine that with being technically really well, like taught and just physically there. And especially with a guy like Cole Banwar, this is why I think he's probably the biggest uh, value of all these undrafted free agents. You're talking about a guy who I'm just looking at his mock draftable chart, which I think is a really great resource because. It just shows you how they test athletically comparatively to other prospects since 1999. He tests in the 80 percentile in three cone drill, short shuttle, um, has really good 40 yard dash numbers and explosion numbers. So 
and his arm length is is pretty solid comparatively to other guard prospects. So you look at it, how he kind of fits athletically, and then you combine to what we've seen on tape from him at Iowa. This is an NFL guy. It's kind of blows my mind. I think just because of injuries that he fell, you know, not getting drafted. Um, you only have that kind of this past year of really true um, solid tape on him um, as sort of like this veteran kind of guy that he molded into or formed into. But he's a guy that I have no doubt is going to end up playing at starting reps for some NFL team down the road, whether it's, you know, this upcoming year at some point, because you, there's always undrafted guys that are getting starting reps because of injuries or whatnot. But in two years, three years, I guarantee you he will have started in at least a couple games, um, whether he's a rotational guy or otherwise. And I think he's going to impress once he's in there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty positive in that. Um, just did you want to add those- something in? Just another one of those guys who was a really good player at Iowa, you know, and and those guys that were football players that I think about interior linemen. And if you're not really noticing them that much, like that stands out to me when you go back. It's like, okay, he just was really good at what he did, got to the second level, was able to work his mesh blocks. um, And he can translate into a different scheme. He doesn't have to just be a zone blocker as well. Like you talked about his measurables and you know, his three cone drill and other, other measurements, like he can move. So you could use him in a pulling scheme, a trapping scheme. You can get him out in space and he can be effective in the screen game. So as you said, somebody who has production, who has good measurements, who came from a good school in terms of his coaching at his position, as well as going against quality players, like he's an NFL prospect and (laughs) talking about, offensive line play and when they don't stand out kind of the opposite with Alaric Jackson and there were just too many times when you look at his film too many times where he stands out for the wrong reason you know whether it's just kind of a lack of balance maybe it was poor hand placement um, you know just didn't have the kind of year that he needed and I know a lot of Iowa fans when he was younger playing thinking okay this is the next first round pick and I think that was probably mostly just because of tradition and you see his frame and what he could be, but just wasn't able to put it together in really all the aspects. And I know had some injury issues with his knee and missed time, you know, his junior year, but just, you know, not really shocked to see that he didn't go undrafted when you kind of really take a look at his film. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dog too much on a lyric, but yeah, I, I agree. I think the, Perception from Iowa fans was, look at this big body guy who's been a, a four-year starter for us and at left tackle, no less. And you look at all the left tackle or offensive tackles that have gone on the NFL from Iowa and have had success, they're pinning at Larry Jackson in the same kind of mold. But the reality is he's not the athlete a lot of those guys were. Um, you know, you talk about short arms. Brand Sheriff had short arms, but Brand Sheriff was also a freak of an athlete who just moved so fluidly in and out. Um, Alaric Jackson wasn't there and yeah, he had a big frame, but almost too big, almost too tall. Um, and his, it, you almost saw it in his foot speed and his coordination and just redirecting to, um, pass rushers over the years. And so I am, and again, he had a, he had a really shaky, uh, senior bowl outing as well. So I'm not surprised that he went undrafted. I, Probably I I had a similar grade on him as well. Um, I, we'll see what he does with the Rams, but also I wouldn't be surprised if he is a guy that 
either does make the practice squad or doesn't make the practice squad. I think that that's kind of like the, the cutoff line. I think it could be a, a coin flip on that. Obviously, I want to pull for him, and I'm, I'm hoping for the best for him. And, you know, maybe the injury was significant enough that we didn't really get to see the uh, the true Alaric um, come out when he did lose all that weight this past year. So there's certain things that you can potentially hold your hat on. Shifting to a more positive note, <laughs> um, in Denver, Sean Byer, I think that's a pretty solid fit um, for him, especially as a guy, if you're talking about a guy's, you know, with an undrafted free agent just being able to make a roster or make a practice squad. So they have Noah Fant, who de- doesn't really fit the blocking mold, even though that they've tried to utilize him in that over the past couple of years. Um, followed by, I can't ever pronounce his name. I'm going to look it up just so I don't butcher it too bad. Um, but it's the guy from Missouri, Albert. Oh, geez. There's no uh, phonetic way to spell <laughs> Albert Oguagabunum. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't think I pronounced that correctly at all. Anyway, so he is a guy that is kind of that blocking mold. And this is a guy who um, Sean Byer will be competing against um, as far as just rosters concerned and things like that. From what I understand right now, he is facing injuries. And there's a couple guys on the Denver Broncos, including, including Troy Fumagalli, who are dealing with injuries which opens the door for a guy like Sean Byer who has this kind of niche of being an amazing blocker. Um, it kind of gives him a little bit of a leg up or a chance to really make an impression on the Denver Broncos roster because you're going to be seeing those uh, premium kind of rep time and you're going to have preseason opportunities potentially um, against the first and second team uh, defenses and offenses and things like that. So when you're talking about Sean Byer, I think the one hurdle he's going to be facing is he's going to be facing, well, his receiving production. I mean, if you're being honest, because over the years, guess who he's behind? TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, this past year, Sam Laporta. You know, there hasn't been a lot of target share opportunities for him in Iowa's offense, and that's going to haunt him, you know, because you're battling that stigma of, well, you're coming out of Iowa's offense, you're a blocking tight end. But, you know, we saw, and we've made notes of this throughout the year, he definitely has a little bit of receiving ability that I think he flashed at times in Iowa's offense. And it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of expand upon that in Denver. Um, I, I'm obviously pulling for him, but and I think he has a pretty good shot at making the roster, in my opinion. He's someone who I've always really liked at Iowa. Um, I remember when he was recruited, he's a guy that I thought um, had a chance to be a really productive player at Iowa. You know, was a good high school football player, but you know, what stood out to me were some of his track numbers, you know, in high school. So when he actually came to Iowa, I was thinking more of, you know, kind of that hybrid wide receiver type with his frame that he had when he entered um, school at Iowa and really developed, become an excellent blocker and kind of their quote unquote blocking tight end. But a guy that I think can be a productive receiver, obviously he has NFL size. He's got a great frame. Um, I think he has enough speed you know, what you said, he talked about, you know, receptions. Really, I felt like the only times he got the ball, maybe a couple seam routes, but it was mostly off of play action and waggle. And, you know, he'd kind of block and then come across the field. And I just didn't see enough of him to know if, like, is that the best use of him? Like, is he able to, you know, get off of his route quickly, make make a shift and get open? And that's a part that I just don't know. But when I think about him, through his time at Iowa and I see his frame and you think about some of the situations he's been put in, definitely a guy that 
could make a roster. And one of those situations where for somebody like him, maybe it's better to go undrafted and find your spot. Like, hey, Denver's a great fit. Here's a spot where, you know, no offense already there. So, you know, they could maybe use a, a little bit different type of tight end. Maybe not a lot of tight end depth. Whereas a situation, if you're drafted in the sixth, seventh round, you're kind of stuck there unless you get cut. Like, obviously, the team thinks you're a possible good fit, but maybe, maybe, maybe they're just like, well, it's somebody on our board. Let's take a shot, um, even though we have a lot of people at that position. So I think it's a situation where maybe for him, being an undrafted free agent really is his best option. He got to zero in on, okay, this is a spot where I think I can be successful. They want me to come in and give it a try. And another one that I would not be shocked if in a couple years we look up and it's like, oh, he's, you know, still on the roster. Oh, hey, look at that goal line situation with a, with this block or with this little, you know, he blocked and got a little wide open touchdown, you know, on a play like that. So uh, I one of the guys that I really liked at his time in Iowa, um, injuries kind of and just who he was behind really probably dictated his production more than anything else. And I 100% agree. I think that for a guy, I think for most tight ends that are facing kind of that either sixth round, seventh round, or undrafted free agent kind of sector, I I think it's more um, conducive to their success to be an undrafted free agent because they can look at the roster and choose their spots and really get sold on by a team rather than just dictated on where they go. I mean, so many years, or so often in the NFL, you look at the preseason rosters of some of these NFL teams and these teams hoard NFL tight end, or like tight ends just in general because it's such a crapshoot at that position in the NFL that they're looking for anything. They're looking for the Ahmad Wagner types who played receiver in basketball and the Rico Gathers who only play basketball and Mo Ali Cox who only play basketball and are just athletic guys because there's not a lot of great tight ends that come out of the college game. That's just kind of how it is. And what happens is like last last season, the big one with the, um, the big hoarding epidemic that um, people saw was the Chicago bears. They had 13 tight ends on their roster in the preseason. Like not even, not even in camp. Like they literally were playing preseason week one and there was 13 tight ends that they were looking at. I mean, not none of those, like half of those guys didn't even get preseason reps. So you talk about they just looking for anything like the little spark, like make a flash play in practice. Um, oh, he can block really well. We'll keep him in and then we'll cut him last week of practice or last week of the preseason and basically eliminate any real shot of making an impression on their future team. Right. With Denver, there's a legit shot for Sean to really make an impression on on the Denver Broncos. So I love that the fact that he ended up there. And I think that with tight ends. It, I think that's the best course of action that you can have um, is just to kind of dictate where you go. Yeah, I think I no, I, I, I think you just nailed it with 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 him and just that position in general in the NFL. And you look at so many tight ends in the college game strictly being receivers. And here's a guy that can put his hand on the ground and block for you in goal line situations or or short down situations or, you know, somebody that you could put as an H back and you know motion into the backfield and do some things from that to help protect the quarterback or help you know give an angle for a block for for the run game. So definitely a guy that is going to fit somewhere because he has a skill set. You know a lot of times we talk about like totally different concept but like in basketball are you great at one thing? 
And he's a guy that can be like, hey, he has this skill set and it's something that is important to our team. And that's sometimes how you find your way onto one of those rosters. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing about, you know, there not being a lot of depth in front of him or at least not, of li- not a lot of um, over quality depth in front of him, right, where he's going to see at least some preseason reps um, you expect if they're barring injury or something like that. But what's really cool about that is once you put out preseason tape, there's tape of you in the NFL, right? And there are so many teams, again, like we just talked about, or at least the point that I brought up, there are so many teams hoarding these tight ends that if you show a little bit of flash, you're going to have a chance to really latch on somewhere because, again, just kind of like with offensive tackle and offensive line in general, there's just not a lot of tight ends that linger around for a long time. You know, if, if they don't really make an impression right away or in the first couple of years, they leave the game. They leave the sport. Um, and so with tight end and Sean Byard coming out of Iowa, obviously, <laughs> I think Iowa tight ends kind of get the benefit of the doubt at this point. Um yeah, I, I, I think he has a legit shot to make the roster, not just the practice squad, but the roster. And I, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, seeing how all of these guys kind of pan out because honestly, undrafted free agency is one of my favorite things just because you, you see them in the preseason week one and the third wave. And if they make that splash, maybe you see him against the second team reps. And all of a sudden you're seeing him as like, oh, well, maybe he kind of fits into this rotation. And anytime those kind of, fringe roster guys end up making the roster. It's always so cool. Right. Um, but we'll see on where all these guys go. Do you have anything else to add before we, we sign out of here? No, just, you know, with the way Iowa's football season ended, um, it seems like that was two years ago. You know, when we talk <laughs> about the 2020 season and then the NFL draft seemed like so long after that. So it was kind of strange to, as we were getting ready for that and thinking about the NFL draft to go back through some of those moments, some of those games in the last year, because it it honestly, it felt like a lifetime ago, really, when I was going back through some of that. Um, So it's kind of nice to have that chance to reconnect with the Iowa football, you know, and and watch it and start thinking about how do these guys, how does their game fit at the next level? You know, you might be a really good college player, but does your skill set translate to the NFL? And, you know, we mentioned earlier, like Alaric Jackson was a nice player at Iowa, ended up um, one year as getting all conference. I think third team all conference is a line uh, as his offensive lineman. And that doesn't mean he was a bad football player if you're an undrafted free agent and maybe don't make a roster spot down the road. But it just means, well, at that level at that position in the NFL, you have to have this elite skill set. And maybe he does. Maybe he has it. That would be great but maybe he doesn't and it doesn't make them a bad football player or, you know, we talked about Nixon, how good he was at Iowa, you know, somebody didn't see what we all saw, but I think what we saw is the right version of that. Not what maybe some other people are thinking. Yeah. That's kind of why I fell in love with just the draft because it is the battle of uh, perception coming out of college versus All right. Well, how does that specifically translate and what is he, what is he doing? Right. Like his production, is that translatable production or is that just you are you've hit your peak against the certain competition level and there are certain just hurdles that you are not um, likely to make? Because right. All this like is projection and they're making the most likely of assumptions on what's going to happen to you as a player. Because, you know, here's the thing. Maybe Alaric Jackson sticks around the NFL, makes a practice squad. Some injuries happen. He gets forced into action in a game. 
And, you know, whether it's at guard or at left tackle or something like that, he just excels in a certain area. You know, one of the things that we did see from Alaric Jackson, you just kind of alluded to, is he was always very serviceable at left tackle and then some comparatively to college. And why was he serviceable to college? Because although his his technical abilities were kind of unorthodox and maybe not the necessarily what you look for as far as translation is concerned, it got the job done. And, you know, maybe he puts together a good three or four game stretch when he's servicing an injury and the right pass rushers are just not are there. Like he's not going up because of J.J. Watt or prime Chandler Jones or something like that. And he holds his own and shows that, you know, I'm I'm maybe not going to be your your, you know, keystone starter uh, for down the road and for a long term. But I'm a guy that can at least fill in and get some jobs done that maybe some other guys just don't have that wouldn't be able to do. Right. And so I obviously we're pulling for him. And I think that with all those, all these guys, and especially, you know, other teams are also in this bag. Um, if undrafted free agents just get that chance, a lot of these guys can make an impression. You know, we talked about Quake Cronk and his time at Indiana and how he really flashed there. If you know, it, it, he could latch on for all we know. Um, Makai Sargent could catch some balls out of the backfield and show some moves in open space. And an injury could lead them to being on the roster all of a sudden. And who knows? It's just one of those things that these guys need a chance. But when you're undrafted for agent, it's just a lot of times it's un- unlikely unless you really have that translatable ability that really just shows itself. Yeah, hopefully we uh, see some of these guys signing contracts, making those roster spots for the regular season and not just uh practice squad, but you know, if you can hang around that practice squad for a year or two, make an impression, keep working your way up. As you said, getting that film, even in a preseason game, it's like, all right, I have NFL film of this sort. Um, people are watching and you never know what's going to happen. You could fall into the right spot. And sometimes it takes some time. And sometimes, like you said, it just takes luck. You know, somebody goes down, you fill in, you have a, a nice stretch and that leads to, you know, a full career. So hopefully we see those guys, um, making their impact at the next level. Yeah. And guys and girls, thank you guys for checking in. Um, you know, we always love the support on these podcasts. The last podcast got a lot of reaction, which is really cool. Um, keep that up, leave some comments, tweet us at Rob DFB for myself. And then at T Nels 20 on Twitter for Thad. Um, that said, we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.